The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Rafa is coming to D.C., Tommy. Rafael Nadal. How do I know that? Well, because this morning, roughly 20 minutes ago, my wife, who couldn't care less about sports, sent me the following text. I want to go see Nadal play at the City Open. Can you please get tickets? Okay. (laughs) I mean, I had no idea that my wife was a Nadal fan. No idea. Rafael Nadal is going, you know, he missed um, he missed Wimbledon, uh, right. and he was sort of banged up off of the French. The City Open, which is the tennis tournament that has taken place at 16th and Kennedy, whatever they call that stadium now. I was a ball boy at 12 years old um, for that wow. tournament for a couple of matches, including, I think I've told you, you like, this before. Like, as, like Kramer? Uh, I was not as I, I was not nearly as disruptive as Kramer was, but I I I'm I think I've told you this story before. Maybe I I haven't, but I ball boyed a Jimmy Connors match at the. I don't think you've ever told me. It that. was when it was the Washington Star tournament. Um, anyway, that was a long, long time ago. This tournament has had many, you know, different faces and sponsors and names to it, but it has been at that Rock Creek Tennis Center at 16th and Kennedy for, I bet you, close to 50 years. It's it, it, well, it, it's 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 a Donald Dell creation. Yes, it, it, it was his baby, right? I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's remarkable considering that uh, the the area has lost uh, two PGA events. To tennis still manages PGA to, events, yes. Still, yeah, still manages to hang on to the tennis tournament, and this year a big injection of excitement with Rafael Nadal showing up. What I, I don't so know what the up. I, the spectators are going to be at fifty percent capacity according to the press statement for this. So yeah, that's a, that's a shame. That's a shame. That's too bad. Um, uh, yeah. Nadal has has. Uh, I don't think he's ever played in Washington before. I believe that's true. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think Nadal's ever played this event before. I wonder how that came about. How they managed to land him, you know, and what his real commitment is. You know, is it one match and then? a sore calf, and I'm done, like a lot of these guys do when they come to Washington. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know how much Nadal's ever done that. You know, there are some players that don't do that. Um, but most of the big names I've found, it, you know, in, uh, for this tournament, my impression is they usually bow out at some point with some nebulous injury. They just make a showing. Yeah, uh, it's and it's not the tune-up for the U.S. Open because this thing runs uh, July 31st through you know the first week uh, in August. The U.S. Open is the last week in August into the first you know week and a half of right. September. Um, one it's of still the, very exciting. Yeah, still, I mean, it's still very cool. 
I'm going to give you sort of my version of the history of this event, and it may be inaccurate in spots, but you know, it was an event that I went to a lot as as a younger person because I was into tennis and I played tennis, and then as a young producer at Channel Five, working for one of our favorite people, Buck Steve Buckhans, we did, and this is the God's honest truth. For the week of that tournament, we did a 30-minute live highlight show live from uh, from Rock Creek Tennis Center every single week night during that tournament. So we would do, you know, Buck would do his sports cast, and then um, and then we at 11:30 after uh, you know one of those shows. I forget what what was the whatever the. Um, uh, it wasn't America's Most Wanted that ran at 11 o'clock. I'm blanking on the uh, show that would run at 11 o'clock following the 10 o'clock news. But whatever that show was um, would run. And then we would go live at 1130. Nobody there to do a 30-minute tennis show on Channel 5. And let me just tell you something because I don't think you're going to know this name. But there may be a couple of people out there listening that know this name. Buck hosted it. I produced it. And this was like for two straight summers. And the guy that directed it, his name was Glenn Weiss. Glenn Weiss has won 14 or 15 Emmy Awards as a director out in Hollywood. He's won Tony Awards. He's won Emmy Awards. If you ask me specifically what the big shows um, that he's done or the, 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 the television shows that he's been a part of. I know that he was a big part, I believe, of the Regis Kathy Lee show early on. I think he directed that. Glenn's not listening, I am sure, um, to this. And if somebody can tell me specifically um, what he won awards for, but I think he produced the Regis and Kathy Lee show for a long period of time, but he's been a very successful Hollywood director. You know, you see, listen to this. I know what you're going to say. I I just remembered it. I just remembered it. I couldn't, I didn't remember it when you asked me before. It's this tennis thing that got me into it. you got any Hollywood type friends (laughs) and you, you beg ignorance and then you trot out this story. Well, I, I, I would never have thought of Glenn without the tennis discussion that we just started and thinking back on this 30-minute show that we did, um, which, by the way, I mean, I can't imagine, even though tennis was much more popular back then, um, yeah, you know, yeah, we're talking was. about, in the, you know, the super late 80s, early 90s than it is now, it still couldn't have been watched by many people. But let me just tell you, Glenn was the greatest guy, the nicest guy and he also directed the 10 o'clock news back then. Um, he was a Maryland guy. I'm pretty sure he went to Maryland. Anyway, make a long story short, great guy. And I remember very clearly Glenn saying, I don't really like tennis. I don't know anything about tennis. So you just tell me what we should be doing on this show. And Buck was never much help either because Buck would show up for his 1045 sports segment at 1040. And then, you know, after that was over. The five-minute drive drive from Chadwick to the studio, right? Well, it wasn't to the studio. He was coming down to the tennis center. We would do. Oh, okay. Yeah, we would do the sports cast live. It took him a little bit longer to get there then. And then, you know, he would walk in and he would do the sports cast. And then he would say, what are we doing here in this tennis thing? Um, And... uh, and it was the, the, I remember it was the first year that they went from clay courts to hard courts. See, when this tournament started in the 70s, and I think you're right about Donald Dell, I think it was very much just a clay court tournament. It was part of the clay court summer series. Um, 
I remember all of the clay quarters played the event, but the big-time hardcourt players never played the event. The guys that were tuning up for the U.S. Open didn't play it. So, you know, guys like Vilas, who was a great all-around player, number one player in the world in the 70s and then into the 80s, was always there. Harold Solomon, who was a local from Silver Spring and was a top-ranked men's tennis player but was more a clay court specialist, would show up. And then it seemed like a bunch of South Americans because the South Americans were all clay quarters. And so... They changed it to a hardcore event, a hardcore event, because they wanted to become part of the summer tune-up series for the U.S. Open and all of the events. And I'm gonna I'm gonna forget some of the places, but I know um, Montreal and Indianapolis and D.C. There were bu- L.A. I think there were a bunch of them that led up to the U.S. Open in in the hardcore summer series. But, Tommy, I'll tell you what, when they were playing on hard courts here, it got so hot um, because – and this is – again, somebody may correct me on a lot of what I'm, I'm saying. This is my memory of it. They attracted good players, but they never attracted all of the best players because this event was – always had a reputation of it's too hot to play in D.C. in late July or early August. It's just too hot. And when they went to hard courts, it was brutally hot because it's much harder, and the temperature on court on a hard court is much hotter than it is on a clay court. Um, McEnroe played it for a couple of years. I remember Boris, when they went to hard court, you know, guys like Boris Becker and Stefan Edberg and Connors. Now, Connors was a really good clay court player as well, so he came here when it was a clay court event. But it then became... Um, you know, again, an event that that became a second tier event because it was hard to consistently attract attract the top players in the world because of DC's summer weather. That was always the problem. In fact, I'm reading um, through the uh, press release right now. This is the first time that any one of the top three players, the the legendary Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Um, that this is the first time that any one of those three players has entered this event in 15 years. Wow. It is. It, it, it's, it's great news. Uh, and I'm sure there will be more demand for tickets since they're limited right now. Oh, yeah. No, Nadal's a, he's a massive draw. Yeah. A massive yeah, I'm draw. I'm sure I'll get, I'll get calls from my, I usually get calls from my tennis friends. Uh, this time of year, seeing if I can get them tickets, and it's usually very easy to do. I don't think it'll be easy this time. Do you get a lot? Of, do you get a lot of calls from your tennis friends this time? Oh, of year? I get I get tons tons of them, tons of them. Oh man, I um, I have many friends. I uh, I have uh, I have a lot of memories about this. By the way, there's a statement in here. From Mark Ein. Mark Ein, who is the owner of the team tennis, the Washington team tennis team. I don't know the name of that team right now. The Castles. The Castles, thank you. Um, Mark's a BCC guy. I've had Mark um, on the show once or twice over the years. Anyway, Mark was a guest on, on Cigars and Curveballs podcast as well. There you go. Good guy. Yeah, really good guy. By the way, Mark was a really good tennis player. And even when he became the owner of the Castles, was still a, a nationally ranked professional doubles player. Because I remember having wow. him on the show and he said, yeah, I, you know, I, I, every once in a while I'll still play a doubles event. And I said, are you ranked? He goes, I think in like the 400 or something, and I looked it up, and sure enough, he was ranked as like the 483rd ranked doubles player in the world. That's um, pretty but, cool. But he's got. You know, a, he owns the city. He owns the city paper as well. I didn't know he owned the city paper. Yes, he does. He owns the city paper. Um, I don't know Mark and, well. I know people who know Mark well because he's a local and he went to BCC and he's a Montgomery County guy. Um, but you know, other than having him on the show, you know, once or twice over the years, I don't know him, but here's his quote in the 52 year history of our event. We've had many great champions over the years, but Rafa is a global icon, the biggest star and greatest player we have ever had. 
What a wonderful day for all of us to celebrate the return of great summer traditions in our community like the City Open. So uh, is Mark, is this his tournament now? I didn't, I didn't I know that. I think it is. Okay. I, I think it is, and I'll bet you, given his involvement in he's, World Team Tennis, he's the one that made it happen. Community, that, yeah, he was probably influential in something like this. That's right. I hope you... You know, my memory yeah. of, of covering this tournament is this was always the bottom-of-the-rung event. In other words, when you first got to the paper and you were low man on a totem pole, there's two things you had to cover. The Kemper Open and the tennis tournament. So my first year or two there at the paper, I had to cover the tennis tournament because... Uh, you know, there wasn't, I mean, this is the early 90s, 92, 93. Uh, you're right, it's always hot. Uh, and there's no elevator up to the press box in that stadium. And that press box is really high up. And uh, you got to go down, you know, <laughs> get close. And then you got to go back up. And it was, it was usually low man on the totem pole got to cover this event. So, um... The first, you know, as I, you know, ventured into broadcasting um, as sort of a second professional career, which I've talked about before, the first gig I got was basically doing some weekend updates for a couple of weeks when Meredith Joseph, who was terrific at doing updates, left on maternity leave. Um, And it was late spring-ish, and... I said, look, you know, to ask me to do anything. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And and either CJ or, or Todd Castleberry said, we'd love it if you'd go down to the tennis tournament and do updates from there this week. So that was, so you're 100% right. Low man on the totem pole. Yeah, it and, was. And I would sit way up there at the top of that yeah. thing in the, in the, uh, in the press box where Charlie Brotman was, you know, I can remember many days when I'm sitting there doing updates, it was just me and Charlie in the, uh, (laughs) in, in, in the press box, Charlie doing the PA system stuff from way up there. And at least we were undercover up there, but it was warm. Um, and yeah, you know, so it, it's always been a secondary tier event. But for several years, again, I would I would say the '80s and the '90s, it was part of that series which included the, the cities I you know Toronto, Montreal, whatever it was, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis, and all of those places leading up to the Open. So, but a lot of the best players would like commit and then back out. Like, what's the weather going to be like? And once they found out it was going to be '90s and humid, they're like, nah. Remember recently, and I don't know the current history or the current situation with this. I just know the history is that there was um, many years ago, they turned it into a women's event simultaneously. Is that still the I case? Didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Well, they had a women's event as a way, I guess, to try to, 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 to try. Here's Tommy on the PGA thing. The first thing you said, you know, we've lost two PGA events, but this thing has remained alive, not necessarily well, but it's remained alive for, for many, many years. You know, the, the I've always been surprised that Washington's lost a PGA event, but the calendar date means a lot in this town, you know, because this is an affluent community for the most part compared to other major, you know, top 10 cities. Um, and you have to get the right dates to make sure that enough of uh, the people that you, that you that you think would be interested in your event are around. The tennis event draws a very, very high-end demographic. And this is why I think financially having these events has always paid off. I don't know the last I, – I can't tell you the last time I went um, to, uh, to that event. But I will tell you that the price of a beer, the price of, of a sandwich or a hot dog, it's the most expensive you will pay at any event um, ever. Uh, it just is. Um, by the way, um, I, there one of the last times I went, and it's been a long time, 
but I, I remember this very well. Um, one of the, I think it might, might've been my oldest was very, very young and it was summer. We had nothing to do. And so I said, we'll go down to the tennis tournament. And somehow I probably called up Buck or Joe Yasheroff or Mark Stern. Mark Stern's a big part of, you know, um, yes, he, he, he now has a tennis podcast that he's doing. He's a big part of the, uh, the, the tour and, and he's doing a lot of stuff. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, somebody, you know, I probably called up and got tickets and I took my oldest down on, you know, a, a late July afternoon. And as we were walking into the stadium, a woman came up to us and said, Hey, would you like to participate um, in a, an event, would you and your, would your son like to participate in an event where he races, um, an electronic car, you know, remote electronic car against Yevgeny Kafelnikov, who at the time was the number one player in the world and was playing the tournament. And it was going to be a part of like the pre-match or in between matches, you know, before he played. And I said, sure, he'll do it. And, you know, in my oldest case, he was like, I guess I'll do it. So on court is my then, I don't know, six, seven-year-old son, something like that, with a remote control, you know, car, and it's him against Yevgeny Kafelnikov on the court with, you know, a, a, a finish line and the crowd there. And they introduce Casey, and they introduce Yevgeny Kafelnikov, and Kafelnikov kicks Casey's ass in the race. I mean, he was so competitive. Oh, that's a shame. And he just, he's so into it, and literally, Casey's halfway still trying to figure it out at six years old, and his, and Kafelnikov's <laughs> car crosses, and he puts his arms up, and people started to boo him. And I go, and I looked at him because I had to be down there as his father down there with him. And I just looked at him and I just shook my head and I go, dude, are you serious? He's six. And, um, and the, the person, this woman who was running the event goes, oh my God, that was not really the intent. And I go, it's all right. It's all right. Why don't we go two out of three? And let me and let me handle it. Um, but I do, I, I Tommy. That may have been the last time I was there, and I would guess that wow. was like nineteen late nineties, early two thousands, probably. I don't know when Yevgeny Kafelnikov, who was Russian, was number one in the in the world. But um, I'll never forget that. Tommy, he never even looked at Casey. Never even came over and said, "Hey, how you doing? We're gonna race. This is gonna oh be fun." God. He grabbed the remote and just sped that car as quickly as he could across the finish line, and it was over. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, the last time I was there, uh, it's funny because this this involves my son, my oldest son, Rocco. Uh, there was a summer going into his junior year in high school uh, where uh, he worked as an unpaid intern for Charlie Brotman in, in his PR firm. That's a great job. And he was he, he was 15 years old, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things he had to do was work the tennis tournament. I remember having to go pick him up. And uh, we're always very grateful to Charlie for that because that's really what got him started in uh, PR and marketing, uh, how much he enjoyed doing that job. So... Uh, yeah, last time I was there was I was picking up my son who was working at the tournament. Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember the last time I've been down there, but you know what? If my wife wants to go, I'll get tickets and I'll go watch Rafa play. Um, actually, I would love to see him play. Uh, I do remember when McEnroe came and and I was there. I hope you're wrong though about your initial thought, which is, I hope it's not a one match default. He's on to the next place. Appearance. So do I. I hope. I hope. You know, one. I, I don't care about tennis or golf per se. Obviously, golf. I really don't care about. But I. 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 I don't like the idea that that the DMV does not have a PGA event because I always feel like if you're a major city, part of your resume has certain components to it. Right. You know, and a PGA event to me 
would be one of them as well as a as a, as a, uh, a to- professional tennis tournament like this. Uh, and that's just in my mind. I mean, I don't know if if if, if you know if you're comparing cities if that has any impact at all. But uh, if you know, I always felt that that it's, that's an important, a small but important part of a city's a major city's resume and. Uh, I mean, you know, I just like to have for the plate for the area to have a PGA event. Well, keep in mind this major city didn't have a baseball team for thirty four years. It's really I know, but yeah. but it's dramatically changed. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. But it was it was dramatically changed in in the early to to mid two thousands too, and we still didn't have a baseball team. That was really well. We were among the top ten cities. In America, the top seven cities population-wise, DMV-wise, uh, metropolitan area-wise, uh, I think for a while we were the only one without four professional sports teams, right? Pretty sure. Right. Um, yeah. uh, but we have them now. And we have Rafa Nadal coming July 31st through August 8th to the D.C. Rock Creek Tennis Stadium, whatever it's called now, down at 16th and Kennedy. Great spot. Um and 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 it'll be a hell of a uh, they they will not have any difficulty whatsoever uh reaching 50% capacity for his matches uh hopefully matches plural. Uh all right, let's take a break when we come back. I want to talk about the Nats a little bit. Also, Bill Barnwell from ESPN who writes really long pieces just put one out moments ago about NFL MVP favorites. We'll talk about that a little bit and other things Washington football team related right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, during our little break there, Tommy, uh, I Googled Glenn Weiss, who I had worked with at Channel 5 many, many, many years ago, um, because I want to see exactly the details of Glenn Weiss's career. Um, he has a Wikipedia page, and there's you know a lot of information, but what he's most remembered for, so he's an American producer and director, 14 Emmy Awards, six Directors Guild of America Awards as a director and producer for various awards shows and reality shows, including the Tony Awards, the Kennedy Center Honors, and the Academy Awards, okay? Um, You know, it says, Weiss started his career working at the Washington, D.C. Bureau of CNN, became a producer and director at Fox at WTTG. That's when I got, uh, that's when I knew him. His first national credit was America's Most Wanted, followed by other shows including Studs, Legends of the Hidden Temple, Gladiators 2000, and talk shows hosted by Jane Pratt and Tempest Bledsoe in the years since. I don't know why I thought of Regis and Kathy Lee. I'm wrong about that, obviously. A little bit off on that one. Yeah, because it's not mentioned here in any of this stuff. But here's what is mentioned after all of the other awards that he's won for like um he's produced dick clark's new year's rock and eve you know the new year's eve thing and and um peter pan live and the billboard music awards american music awards all these other things but this is when i remember i happened to have been watching or i saw the highlights of this on september 17th 2018 
during the 70th Primetime Emmy Awards. Weiss made headlines by proposing to longtime girlfriend uh, Jan Svensson during his acceptance speech for Outstanding Directing for a Variety Special for his work on that year's Academy Awards. He proposed by saying, you wonder why I don't like to call you my girlfriend because I want to call you my wife. And that's what he did during uh, those 70th primetime Emmys. And I do remember that. I don't know that I was watching it live, but I think uh, several people from the old Channel 5 days created a group text and said, have you seen this yet? And that's how I saw it. He was really such a terrific guy is my memory. And now that you've brought him to my attention, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to try to get him on the podcast and do an interview with him about his life and what he's doing and then pitch him on a screenplay for a friend of mine. Two screenplays. Two screenplays. Can can we go one, can we go one screenplay at a time? Well, I mean, look at this is not, uh, this is multi-shopping right here. It's like shopping at Target. We have more than one thing. <laughs> okay. Um, before we get to the Nats, Bill Barnwell, who writes for ESPN.com and writes a lot and writes um, extensively and r- writes in very long form, um, he uh, has a column out today um, called uh, titled 2021 NFL MVP Favorites and Tears. He puts the favorites in tears. And by the way, here, here's part of the title. 237 players who could win. So you can already tell this is going to be a long Barnwell column. He's got 237 players who might win the NFL MVP in the 2021 season. I'm certainly not going to read this to you. But he starts off, from what I can tell, after a couple of pages worth of setting it up, he starts off by looking at quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm assuming he's looking at quarterbacks because usually the MVP of the league is a quarterback. And he groups the quarterbacks into tiers. Group one, the Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, and Russell Wilson. So he says, my favorite from this group is Mahomes. My least favorite from this group is Roethlisberger. I would agree on both of those fronts. The The, the MVP frontrunner overall is Patrick Mahomes and maybe for the next 10 years going into any season. He's going to be either the favorite or or pretty close to being the favorite to win the MVP. And Ben Roethlisberger really did look like he was on his last legs. Then he's got a Tier 2, and he calls this the starting quarterbacks on rookie deals. And none of these quarterbacks really have a great chance, but he lists Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Sam Darnold, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. I I shouldn't have said these guys don't have much of a chance. Of course they do. Lamar Jackson's already been an MVP, but he's still on a rookie deal. And then he's got actual rookies like Trevor Lawrence and um, Zach Wilson. And he said, my favorite from this group is Murray. My least favorite from this group is Zach Wilson. Then he gets into the group three uh, of quarterbacks. He calls them established, effective starting quarterbacks. On this list are Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson, and Carson Wentz. Um, by the way, okay, I think that Deshaun Watson, you know, without all the other stuff going on, like if we could just view him as a football player, is a future Hall of Famer. I don't know that Cam Newton is. And he didn't consider Cam Newton to be a future Hall of Famer because he didn't have him in uh, in that tier. Matt Ryan, future Hall of Famer or not, he doesn't have uh, Matt Ryan in that tier. Ryan and Cam Newton will be, you know, guys right now based on their career so far that people will start to talk about as potential Hall of Famers. Anyway, he says his favorite from this group is Dak Prescott 
and the least favorite from the group, and he says, I'll leave Deshaun Watson in his situation alone, and and he said Jared Goff. And then he's got, and this is why I brought this story to everybody's attention. I knew there was a reason. I just had to wait for it. Look, I've I've shortened his story as much as it can be shortened. The group four of quarterbacks to consider, because he's considering every quarterback in the league as a potential MVP candidate. Not really, but he puts them in tiers. Group four, low-end starting, high-end backup quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Taysom Hill, Tyrod Taylor, Jameis Winston, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he just says from this low-end starting high-end backup quarterback list. By the way, the other category above it, established effective starting quarterbacks, on some level it would be a bit of a reach to put Ryan Fitzpatrick in that category. Don't you think? Well, of course I think so. But there's (laughs) this delusion going around (laughs) that Ryan Fitzpatrick is, 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 is... found money somehow for this Washington football team. Well, I mean, established, effective starting quarterbacks. You know, I know Jared Goff started in a Super Bowl, and I know Jimmy Garoppolo started in a Super Bowl, and I know Carson Wentz was a potential MVP in his second season, but I would not take Garoppolo or Goff ahead of Fitzpatrick. I wouldn't take Cam oh, Newton. I, would. I wouldn't take Cam Newton ahead of Fitzpatrick right now. I would obviously I would like take that. Prescott, Ryan, Stafford, Watson, Cousins, and probably Carr ahead of Fitzpatrick. I would take all those guys, oh, and and the ones even you wouldn't, because I think I think their upside is much bigger. And I mean, Cam, I don't think Cam, Cam Newton's upside. Cam Newton. I mean, yeah. he had a. Ch- he could have gotten Cam Newton. He chose not to, and he coached him. I know. Yeah. You consider that, but Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick chose to take him. <laughs> That's true. You know, I. I tell you why. <laughs> oh, it's between go. Ron Rivera true. and Bill Belichick. Yeah. I'm going to go with with uh, this this Super Bowl coach, winning coach. So of the low end starting, high end backup quarterbacks category. He says, my favorite from this group, like among these guys, who could come out of nowhere? And he writes, by the way, listen to this, Tommy. A borderline starter winning MVP, we've seen quarterbacks who looked like they were fading out of starting work win this award in the distant past. You have to go back 40-plus years, but Ken Anderson in 1981 and John Brody in 1970, one years removed from their last appearances in the Pro Bowl. The year before he won the MVP, Anderson threw six touchdowns and 13 picks. Nobody would have pegged the veteran as a plausible candidate, and yet that's what happened. Of course, that season in 1981, Ken Anderson led Cincinnati to the Super Bowl, where they lost to Joe Montana and the 49ers for the 49ers' first win. Brody in 1970 lost, I believe he lost in the NFC Championship game to the Cowboys at Candlestick. Um, and uh, and the Cowboys ended up losing that Super Bowl to the Colts. So right. out of this group, if somebody were to emerge, he writes Winston. He goes on, and by the way, I'm totally with him on this. Winston. He goes. I'm tempted to pick Fitzpatrick, given that the Harvard product is joining a Washington team with a great defense and has actually been a very good quarterback for mu- for most of the past two seasons. But Winston is the easy pick here. Playing for Sean Payton with Michael Thomas at wide receiver but behind an excellent Saints offensive line, Winston has the chance to blow away expectations and his previously established label as a gaff-prone quarterback. He certainly could lose the quarterback competition in camp to Hill, Taysom Hill, and spend the entire year on the bench, but we're looking for the highest upside, not the highest floor. By the way, he picked Tyrod Taylor as his least... Uh, as the least likely from that group. I am so with him on Jameis Winston. I 
I love the Saints this year and their possibilities. I don't know why I love Jameis Winston so much as a quarterback, but I just think that he is going to have a second part to his career, a second act to his career. And Sean- I think you're right. And here's one of the reasons why I like him. I mean, besides the talent. And uh, let's face it, he came out of what, Florida State, right? Yeah. Uh, with real negative uh, baggage. Well, the the the, the public the public's incident. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He came he came out with with negative baggage. There were other incidents besides that. Yeah. Uh, as well, but uh, everything I've read or heard about him in Tampa was that he was respected and liked by all his teammates. Everybody. I, I told. Yeah. First of all, let me just make sure, like, I think most people have heard the story about the Publix, you know, shrimp incident or lobster tail or, or crab tail, uh, you know, crab claw incident when they said he was stealing um, the, uh, the whatever the seafood item was out of a Publix. That incident was simply put um, that the story has been told many times, I believe. You know, this was something that was being provided to a lot of Florida State players, like some free, you know, stuff. Winston couldn't say that he accepted free stuff because it would have ruined his eligibility. So they had to say that he stole it. Um, so anyway, that aside, there was also the other incident with the with the woman, um, the female student yeah, as well. Yeah, sexual assault yes. charges. So there was that. Um, but I remember when Brady signed, you know, 15 months ago or whatever, whenever it was with Tampa. And I remember listening, and I forget the reporter, the columnist's name from Tampa. You would probably know him or know of him, and I'm blanking on the name. But he was a guest on Mad Dog Show on Sirius XM, and I was listening to this interview. And he just went on and on and on about how beloved Jameis Winston was. That was not the narrative on Jameis Winston. The narrative was no. all the stuff from Florida State. And by the way, he throws 30 picks a year, which he had just yeah. you know, done. Also 33 touchdowns, but 30 picks as well. And he said Jameis Winston is so respected, so well-liked from media to fans to every single person, uh, player and coach in that locker room. And the guy said he had talked to various players and coaches, and they were super excited about Brady. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he said they really said to a man they were going to miss Jameis Winston in their locker room. And I, I just I remember sitting there listening to that going, I had no idea. Like, I always Neither liked him I. as a player, and I always thought that there was a chance that he could become a good quarterback, but I had no idea about that. But then, you know, think about it. To a certain degree, you know, Sean Payton, for all intents and purposes, they signed him to a very cheap deal, obviously. But I think he believes Winston is Drew Brees' heir apparent. I don't think he believes it's Taysom Hill. I could be wrong. I would agree. I agree with you. I mean, I don't, I don't, look, Taysom Hill, uh, like we're talking about upside. Uh, Taysom Hill seems to have a very limited upside. We've seen what he can do. I think we've seen uh, the limitations of, of his abilities at a quarterback role. Winston, I don't, I don't even think we scratched the surface yet. I don't think we have either. Do. I don't think we have either. And, you know, he not only has a great coach, he's on a really, really good team. A team's got an excellent defense. It's got, you know, arguably the best offensive line or a top three offensive line in the game. It's got Alvin Kamara. It's got Michael Thomas. They need him healthy, obviously. Um, and Winston is, you know, what is he? Um, he's 28. I'm looking it up right now because I want to know exactly how old he is. A lot of these quarterbacks don't really hit their stride until – you know, mid to late twenties. He's twenty-seven years 27. old. Okay. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me if the Saints are really good and Winston has a big year. And I, I hope I'm. I hope I'm right about that to a certain degree. Not at the expense of you know Washington st- standing in the NFC, but I'm hope I, I hope I'm right that he ends up being and having a second act to his career. I really do. He's got tremendous. 
you could tell this from Florida State, tremendous innate leadership skills, which has yeah. always been talked about with Winston. Remember, he, he had a chance to be a major league baseball pitcher as well. Yeah. Terrific athlete. Right. I won't bore you with the rest of Barnwell's um, story, which includes, you know, going through like the MVP list, um, you know, running backs and wide receivers. And let me just see if he puts Chase Young into the conversation at all. Must be. What about Terry McLaurin? Um, on the wide receivers, candidates, 33. He does have Terry McLaurin listed as one of the 33 wide receiver slash tight ends, uh, tight end candidates. He says Devontae yeah, Adams would, have to as would well. What'd you say? I would, I would as well. I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just that, you know, um, superstar pass rushers. Does he have Chase Young listed here? He does. He's got Chase Young yeah. listed among the 31 um, superstar pass rushers as possibilities. In fact, he does – this is – yeah. So basically um, – and then he ends with kickers. NFL MVPs are usually quarterbacks, occasionally run, running backs, rarely wide receivers – very rarely defensive players, Lawrence Taylor, Alan Page, Lawrence Taylor, and Mark Gastineau are the only three defensive MVPs in NFL history. And then he's got kickers only because Mark Mosley won the NFL MVP in the abbreviated 1982 season. Um, So the Washington football team, they got players making lists left and right, don't they? Apparently they do. Tommy, apparently That's they do. That's a big step, right? They don't usually make lists. They, you know what? They haven't had a lot of players that have made a lot of these kinds of lists in recent no. years. No, Let me big just see. Step. I wonder if, um, I wonder if and if Montez Sweat is on the pass rusher thing. Let me just check that real quickly. I don't. I doubt he is. He's not. Yeah, because he's not going to put two pass rushers from the same team. Two young pass rushers from the same team in that list. Mm-mm. As long as we're on this subject, um, Patrick Mahomes uh, would be obviously my um, number one pick uh, to be the MVP. But there are two players who are going to be on very good teams, contending teams that are defensive players, that I think, like, this is, you know, a real outside the box pick. Aaron Donald. And Miles Garrett, two players who are on two teams that are considered to be deep into the postseason kinds of players. Um, I'll if, if if you told me a defensive player wins the MVP or is in conversation, Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett. Well, I'll tell you what what will negate that if the Rams are in the Super Bowl. Matt Stafford's going to win the MVP. More likely than not, if they're in the Super Bowl, it's because Matt Stafford, you know, had the kind of yeah. year that I think he's totally capable of. And by the way, flipping it around, if Cleveland's in the Super Bowl, it may not be solely because of Baker Mayfield. Right. But I agree. All right. Um, wanted to also mention um, that on the radio show this morning, we did a segment on. Um, you know, in line with sort of what Tommy was talking about, people excited about Ryan Fitzpatrick, whatever. I, I am excited about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think there's a chance he could be a, a really solid quarterback for Washington um, this year. But um, we did a Twitter poll, and then we took calls on how many NFC teams are obviously better than Washington. Just so you know, Washington pretty much consistently across the board in terms of futures, odds, are like ninth or tenth best odds out of 16 teams in the NFC. I know a lot of you think that, you know, they should be like the favorites or in the top five. They're not. Like the best you can find them is like eighth best odds. So like literally the the middle of the pack of the NFC. But more like more likely than not, you're to find you're you're gonna find eight or nine teams with better odds than Washington to win the NFC championship. Personally, I think there are six teams that are obviously better. Tampa, the Rams, the Packers with with Rodgers, Seattle, San Francisco, and New Orleans. 
I think those are the six that are obviously better than Washington going into the season. It's an NFL season. Anything can happen. But on paper, those six teams, I would say, are obviously better. I don't think Dallas is obviously better, although I think they are better on paper. I don't think Arizona is obviously better, but if you force me to wager on one of the two teams making the NFC, you know, winning the NFC championship, I'd probably wager on Arizona. But after that, you know, you'd probably pick Washington. Um, but I just have six teams that are obviously better, and I'll just keep saying what I've been saying about the Giants. I think they're very underrated, and if Daniel Jones turns out to be a decent quarterback, I think the Giants are going to be a good football team this year and be the surprise team in the division and one of the surprise teams in the NFC. And, you know, I'll just reiterate what I've said before. Uh, They beat Washington twice last year, um, and they were really close in about four or five of their losses. They very easily could have been the NFC East champs without their best player in Saquon Barkley and with the same sort of quarterback issues that Washington every every team in the division last year had quarterback issues. Dallas started four quarterbacks, yeah. Washington started four quarterbacks, Philadelphia started three, and the Giants started two. And that is the reason more than any other that the division was historically bad. Uh, if you don't see that again this year, the division will be much much better. It'd be hard for it to be worse, but it'll be much better. Uh, you must have eaten your Wheaties this morning because I got to agree with almost everything you said there. I, I agree with you uh, about where the Washington football team probably ranks, about teams that are not obviously better, but if I had to pick between one or two, those teams who I would pick, and that the Giants, I think, are really underrated. Um, if Daniel Jones, if, if they're healthy. Yeah, their offensive line is a is a big question mark. We still don't know a lot about the coaching staff. Jones is everything for them, but they they have talent. As does Dallas. Um, you know what? Philadelphia doesn't suck talent wise. I I wanted to make just one other quick. Um, but they have they have a whole new coach, a, a real quarterback mess. They're they're in trouble. There's a big difference between the AFC and the NFC. And the big difference is the top teams in the AFC have no quarterback uncertainty. Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland, Tennessee. They all have solid, really good quarterback situations with no uncertainty. You know, If you want to put the Chargers into that conversation with Herbert, because a lot of people think the Chargers are going to make a big you know, step um, this year and be a playoff team. Indy is probably the only perceived playoff contender with quarterback sort of uncertainty, but not in terms of who the starter is. The starter is going to be Carson Wentz. You just don't know if it's going to be the Carson Wentz from the last time he was he was with Frank Reich in Philadelphia, or if it's going to be the Carson Wentz from the last year or two. In the NFC at the top, you have major quarterback uncertainty. First of all, Brady's turning 44. Green Bay, we don't know anything about the Rodgers situation. New Orleans, we've already talked about. We both are – I'm a believer in Jameis Winston, but it's uncertain. Um, San Francisco, another leading contender, uh, you know, Garoppolo or Trey Lance. The Rams have a quarterback that, for me, would make things totally certain. But it is the first year for Stafford and McVay together. Um yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, if you consider Washington a situation uh, where they could, you know, win nine or ten games, they've got quarterback uncertainty. Dallas doesn't have quarterback uncertainty in terms of who their starter is, but he's coming off a major injury in Dak Prescott. AFC yeah. much more stable. Are we in agreement on that too? I'm telling you. Wow. I don't know what the point of the podcast is today because uh, you must you must have eaten a good breakfast because you, your brain seems to be working in the right direction this time. All right. Well, let me um, take a different path then. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Here's a point of difference between Tommy and me on the show today. I like the soccer and Tommy doesn't. I've been enjoying I the soccer. You 
I I thought you stopped. I didn't stop because of the flopping. I didn't. I did not watch yesterday's game because I played golf. But I watched the game the day before, and I will watch the final on Sunday between Italy and England at Wembley. But I am going to tell you that I did not realize that on a penalty kick, if it was missed, that you could then follow it up and score, that the, the, the game was live after a missed penalty kick. I'm not talking about the penalty kicks at the end that decide the game. I'm talking about during the game. Harry Kane, the star of England and one of the stars of soccer, uh, Harry Kane had a penalty kick in extra time, missed it, um, but the ball bounced back to him, and he then scored on the follow-up. I thought if you miss the penalty kick, they stop and you know, and that's it. Um, but I was wrong about that. I'm learning. Uh, I didn't watch it live. I watched the highlights. I heard that the scene at Wembley with the crowd was just insane yesterday. Can't wait for the final on Sunday between England and Italy. So we don't dis- we we disagree on that. You, this is not a conversation that you wish even took place. Conversation about what? Soccer. Oh, I'm sorry. I kind of like nodded out there for a minute. <laughs> Want to talk about the Sorry Nats? About How about Juan Soto last night, early? That yes. was a bomb. Yes. Yes, it was. Set the tone right from the start in the first inning. Uh, and uh, they wind up scoring 15 runs, uh, you know, without Kyle Schwarber in the lineup. Has to be a big emotional lift for them to be able to produce that kind of offense without the big bat of Schwarber in there. Josh Bell is is operating on all cylinders now for this team. Right. Uh, he, I mean, I, did, I mean, between Schwarber before he got hurt, and now Josh Bell, uh, Rizzo hit a home run with both of those signings, uh, low cost signings coming off a bad season for both of them. Uh, so, uh, and uh, you know, again, they still they still are managing uh, with uh, Strasburg out. And now with Schwarber out, they're still managing to tread water, you know, to, to keep this thing close enough that uh, one hot run can put them on top of the division. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a big win on the road against a very good team in, in the Padres. And the, and the other news that came out is Juan Soto is going to compete in the home run derby and he's going to be matched up in the first round against Shoni Otani. Ex- that is going to be a marquee matchup. <laughs> yes. That'll be exciting. Agreed. Yes. Um, a couple of things. First of all, Josh Bell's turnaround is amazing. You know, um, I think yeah. I think he went from hitting 206 at the beginning of January, then uh, June. He hit 313 in the month of June, and he's already off to a super hot start in July. Secondly, this is the third time the Nats have scored like 13-plus runs in their last, I think, 12 games. Like, they've had explosions. They were struggling so much offensively. They had that wild game, remember, against Philadelphia. Um, then they crushed Tampa last week, Tommy, with, with Schwarber going 0 for 4. Like their two biggest offensive games yes. of the year, fifteen to six over Tampa with I think it was eighteen hits in the game, and then last night fifteen to five over San Diego with I think seventeen hits in the game. Well, Schwarber didn't play last night, but he didn't help them in their fifteen to six win over Tampa either. So they are capable offensively without him. Um, but they just, you know, Trey Turner in the lineup is a must for them. Uh, you know, they lost those four games to the Dodgers over the weekend, and now they've won two of three against San Diego. I don't know if you're, you're following this. The Marlins have beaten the Dodgers three straight. The Marlins. Baseball's crazy. You know, the Dodgers seem to be turning back into that juggernaut red hot. I think they had won nine in a row, and they lose three straight after sweeping the Nats to the Marlins. Um but uh, it's a good win, you know. This this whole seventeen game stretch leading into the all uh, leading into the All Star break, and then coming out with the three games against the Padres on the other side, it looked like it was starting to go south with the four losses to the Dodgers. But they're hanging in there, you know, yeah. beating a red hot and a great team in San Diego, two out of three so far, with one more tonight, and it's Max against Darvish tonight. Um, 
It'd be massive if somehow they took three or four in San Diego after that disappointing weekend at home against the Dodgers. Absolutely. You have to feel very good about themselves coming off of of something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm really psyched up looking forward to, you know, the one stupid thing about the All-Star game this year, I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, somebody in Major League Baseball made the decision to have the teams wear the same uniforms, the American League players wear AL All-Star uniforms, National League, NL All-Star uniforms. Instead of their own. So they're, they're not going to be wearing their own uniforms. Oh, that sucks. So That's stupid. Stupid. I agree. So God. Stupid. We agree again. <laughs> we agree again. I don't like doing these shows with you. I know. I like I, uh, I like the Bucks tonight plus the five. If anybody's wondering, uh, I picked the Suns to win the series in five, but the Bucks I think are going to get that thing that always seems to happen in a playoff series where they only shot sixteen free throws, the other team shot ten more, and then they complain about it, and somehow they get the benefit of the whistle tonight. Wouldn't surprise me if that happens. Now them going to the free throw line is not a great thing, especially with Giannis. But I like the Bucks tonight plus five. Um, it was five and a half. It's down to five now. So there's some sharp money on Milwaukee. Uh, but uh, but that's my my pick for the day. I I gave you okay. I gave you Milwaukee the other day in game one. That didn't work. So don't uh, you know for entertainment purposes only, of course. But there you go. Um, well, here's my NBA contribution. Uh, I'm working on a future column, and I was doing some research. And I just wanted to drop this on you. It's no revelation, but it's it's always helpful perspective. Uh, since the last time the Wizards won 50 games in a season oh and went beyond the second round, which was 1979, this franchise has a record of 1,442 and 1,894 losses. Why are you still doing this? The, and that, well, I mean, I'm doing it for a future column. Okay. Uh, that's five, nearly six straight seasons of losing. That difference. You mean the difference, the disparity losing. between wins and losses. Yes. Six the straight disparity. seasons of what, losing all 82 games? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, Scott, uh, Scott and that's Brooks. that's going to be incorporated in a future column I'm working on. Okay. A bigger picture column. Will you include that Scott Brooks got an assistance job with Chauncey Billups in Portland? Why would I include that? <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out okay. there for anybody that didn't hear about it. I was surprised at that. Um, not, yeah, I'm not so surprised that somebody wants Scott Brooks you know, to be a part of the organization, but that he would take an assistant job. But it's well, for a first-time head the coach. the line around – the line – for coaching the Wizards is around the block. According to NBC Sports Washington, they have a large field of coaches, uh, candidates to choose from. So uh, I wouldn't worry about the next Wizards head coach. They're, they're, lining them up, they're lining them up, Tommy, and they're saying, all right, make your best offer. Yes, that's, that's it. <laughs> who that's who can case. do it for just under a million? Um, <laughs> all right, uh, I'm done for the day. One, Are you done? I got one last thing. Oh, yes, yeah, Sunday. I got one Sunday. last thing. Tell us about Sunday, please. Sunday. Sunday, uh, the uh, benefit concert for the D.C. Grays, the nonprofit youth baseball organization I'm a big part of. King Soul, the great band, the band that will change your life, is playing a benefit show Sunday, uh, July 11th, at Caddy's on Cordell, from 2 to 5 p.m., uh, ticket donations, tax-deductible donations, are $25 a piece. You can go online to dcgrays.com in order to purchase your tickets. You could even do it that day on your phone if you walk up to the door and, and do it. You can buy them on your phone right there. So you can even buy them the day of. And there's a bit of news, I think, that you should know about, buddy. What? There's going to be a special performance, a special performer at, at, at this event. Who's the special performer? I can't say. Oh. It, it can't, I can't reveal it. Well, we already know the main act, but this is a special uh, appearance from somebody? Yes. I'm excited I about I that. I can't reveal it. I'm excited about yes. that. All right. Um, yes. Uh, be there or be square. Yep. Uh, 
Just so you know, I'm going to try to get there, but you know, and we've talked about this, I did have a previous commitment for that day before you put this together, but there is a chance that I'll be able to make it for some of it. Not that anybody cares. Well, let me, let me just say, if you and whoever you're with yeah. want to really have a good time and be there for a moment that you'll wish you didn't miss, you should be there. At some point. It'll be a great event. event. It'll be a great event at a very easy place to park and everything else um, uh, at Caddy's in Bethesda. All right, Tommy, thanks. All right, boss. I'll be back tomorrow. Enjoy the day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.